and welcome to How I Survived This, the totally badass and dramatic podcast where we dive into the good, the not so good, and the totally badass journeys of women in the arts. I'm your host, Heather Corrigan. We're here today to learn about each of my guests' unique journeys from their wins to their darkest hours and all of the dramatic moments in between. So grab a drink, snacks, or whatever, and get comfy because today we have as my guest, Phoebe Stroll. Phoebe got her start in high school, like many of us, doing shows at Casa Manana in Fort Worth, Texas. And while she is perhaps best known for her role in the Broadway musical Spring Awakening, she has also appeared in Glee, 30 Rock, and Glow. We are thrilled to have her here today. Phoebe, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on the show today, and it's so nice to see you. Same. And uh, we were just sort of touching on the fact that we share the same agent and yeah. have for many a year, but we won't for disclose. voiceover yeah. for voiceover, right? And we and we have for many a year, but because of the way that things are now, we haven't seen each other in years, and we used right. to see each other, quote unquote, in the room. Yeah, which is just I know kind of weird. I miss it. <laughs> I miss seeing human beings. I do. I know it's more convenient to do auditions from home and stuff, but I do miss seeing people. Yeah, me too. Same. Well, we're making the best of it. So as we dive right in, tell me, I know I sort of mentioned it in the intro, but you got your start in acting at a very young age. Yeah, I just kind of like stumbled into it in high school, really. And it was like, oh, I can do this. Oh, I like to do this. And then, as you mentioned, that theater Casa Manana, I, it was a summer stock production of Bye Bye Birdie. And I was a screaming teenager. <laughs> you know, I was just like <laughs> in the ensemble. I had maybe like one line in the telephone song. I was just in pure heaven for So you fell in love time. with it, right? Yeah. There. When I got my paycheck for what was probably like $200 at the end of the week, I was like, whoa, you get paid to do this? You get paid to be this happy and have this much fun and have friends? Like it was, yeah, it just blew my tiny mind. Oh, my gosh. So how did you hear about the show? You were living in, Casa Manana is a very well-known theater in Texas. So you were yeah. living, you grew up in Texas. I did. I grew up in Fort Worth. And my grandparents were actually opera and theater performers. So I grew up enmeshed in music and musical theater. But you could not have gotten me to step on a stage to save my life. I was deeply, painfully <laughs> shy. So I think it surprised all of us when I when I eventually started doing it. But yeah, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I watched my grandparents' VHS tapes of uh, all the Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals and Funny Girl. And I mean, I just over and over again. Yeah, <laughs> I was that kid. <laughs> <laughs> so even though you were deathly afraid of uh -huh. the stage, what um, prompted you to audition for this particular production? Um. Well, I'd already started doing it in high school. And when I started in my freshman year of high school, I felt like, oh, I like to do this. And I just, I can't remember how I learned about the casting call because we certainly didn't have the internet the way we do now. I uh, know. <laughs> 1999, I guess, is when I did it. And I just, I don't know. I think I just went in and I sang a song or six bars or whatever. And they were like, yeah, you can, you can jump up and down on the stage in a twirly skirt and <laughs> scream oh, for Conrad Birdie. It was great. And so is that it was that an immediate cure to the shyness, just the jumping on stage and just sort of facing that fear head on? 
my cure for the shyness, I think, was like my freshman year of high school drama class. Truly, it was I had this amazing teacher whose name is Lisa Ribble or was Lisa Ribble. And I have not been able to find her since she left the high school. Lisa, so if anyone out listening? there is Lisa Ribble, please get in contact with me. I, she completely changed my whole life. She made the idea of theater something very fun. It wasn't, you know, overly serious. It was supposed to be about community. I mean, I, and I still think I try to carry that quality into when I work in a play or a musical or something like that. I, I try to think about what's, what's fun about it because it's supposed to be fun. We're very lucky to do this, this work. Yeah. So you bring that what she taught you in your freshman high school drama class, you've carried that with you. I try. Throughout all of the rooms. And do I you try find, to remember that. Yeah. <laughs> do you find that you can do it in auditions too? Because that's when sometimes the nerves take over. Yeah, I think that's also something I, I really am missing is mm. going to do a, an audition in person. I miss the adrenaline of that. I miss the performance of it. It's so much easier for a lot of things to be at home and have your little iPhone and and take your time and, you know, not be wearing pants or whatever <laughs> while you're doing <laughs> but I But I also, I really just want to go back in a room and interact with a person and like act off of a live human being who's not my poor sweet husband who's been conscripted to read these lines with me, who does a fabulous job. He's going to listen to this. Ryan, you do a great job reading the lines, but you know what I'm saying. Yes. Um, especially for theater, it's really it's really tricky to do taped auditions for live theater. I don't think that I have nailed that quite yet. Yeah. I mean, theater especially, and also auditions in general and just sort of the world of acting. I mean, it's like yeah. about exchanging energy. Yes. And yes. You, know, you get something different from being in that room. You're, we're yes. storytellers and being in a community with other people who are storytellers, it just yes. has a different vibe to it. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm definitely guilty of doing at-home auditions with like slippers and, you know, sweatpants. Up on top, I'm marvelous Mrs. Maisel down on the bottom. I'm like, yeah, 1993. Yeah. yeah. On yeah, top absolutely. is 1960s housewife and on the yeah. bottom is gap sweats. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you you went through high school and the theater bug got you. And did you then say, okay, this is it. And I am theater 100% and then go on to a program in college specifically for acting, right? Yes. I I don't remember what, maybe it was, you know, doing that summer stock show, but I, I was dead set not long after that on going to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, you could not have stopped me. <laughs> I was fortunate enough to get accepted to NYU to their musical theater conservatory at the time, which was CAP 21, which doesn't exist there anymore. They, I think they have their own musical theater program. And it was really important training for me because I was so green as they say in the industry, green meaning you don't have any formal training. So I think I just, I had this like raw talent and energy that I was ready to, to focus, but I just, I wanted to be in New York city so bad. I, I mean, all I ever want after that, all I wanted to do was be in a Broadway show. And, uh, of course I, I think of things differently now, but that was my teenage dream. Um, yeah. as the great Katy Perry said, I think <laughs> then I realized what a wide world of theater there was to be seen and, and participate in, in a city like New York at the time. And, you know, 2001 is when I moved, you know, those, those things didn't exist 
the way they do now, maybe in a place like Fort Worth. And I just, my mind was blown the more I started going to see off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway, off-off-off-off-off-off-Broadway and seeing all kinds of weird, wild, amazing types of theater there was. And I just, uh, it's all I've ever wanted to to do and participate yeah. in. Yeah. And really, I'm about to say this and I can't believe I'm about to say this <laughs> back then. Really, you could go from show to show to show yeah. and there were, I, I was here around that time too and you could get, such cheap tickets to everything yes. especially um, being in a being in school in at NYU I yes mean, we had we had the immense privilege of getting you know free or super cheap Broadway tickets I mean the shows right. I saw no it's the life of a of a of a theater of a theater student or a young actor I mean you're in training all day and then you yeah. get more training at night by seeing it was incredible uh, yeah. yeah it was incredible I'm sure I'm sure and yeah. were your parents Fully on board with you being like, bye, Texas. Hello, New York. Yeah, strangely, they they really were. I think, of course, it was, I'm the oldest child, and I think I'm sure it was hard for them to— And I think not only am I the oldest child, I— you know, my mom is born and raised in Fort Worth, lived there her whole life. My dad, born and raised in Texas, has, you know, lived there his whole life. Outside of my grandparents, who I mentioned earlier, they actually met in New York City singing in an opera together. Oh, wow. Um, but my grandfather was from Fort Worth, so they got married and moved back to Fort Worth. But they were just, they were so supportive of me. They just really trusted me and wanted me to pursue my dream. God love them. They, God love them. they really were like excited for me and happy for me and have always, yeah, stood by yeah. me and my choices and truly. So you're in, it's incredible and really lucky, right? To, to yes. have such supportive uh, support system behind yeah. you. Did you have that moment of the reality of your career choice? Like the first couple moments after the structure of school? Yeah. Well, I was fortunate because um, while I was in college, I met my, I, I met my manager who I actually still have. Her name's Estelle Lasher. I've been with her for, you know, probably almost 20 years at this point. I'm very lucky about that. Speaking of someone who stands by you through ups and downs. I mean, my God, I'm nothing like I was when I was 19, you know, when she met me. And that was very frowned upon at Tish. You weren't supposed to start trying to work professionally, but I did not care because that's all I wanted to do, you know? So I just, yeah. I just didn't care. I had a lot of gumption back then that I also try to remember. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I got a couple of, you know, what they call guest star parts on shows like, you know, The Great Law and Order SVU, Rescue Me, Mercy, like New York-based TV shows. I, I got right. a couple of small parts on. So I I started working, fortunately, while I was still in college. So when I graduated, I already kind of had a sense of how things worked. And I'd already been auditioning professionally. I had a really great job at the end of college where I worked as a, a children's ballet teacher in this. Oh, how sweet. Yeah, in this dance studio called Sandra Cameron Dance Studio. And um, so I had that job already that I was working on. So when I graduated, I felt like I'm I'm okay. Like I'm doing I'm doing okay. I'm ready to I'm ready to roll. Yeah. So but yeah. even though you had some guest stars, and just to clarify for our listeners, mm -hmm. uh, guest stars on TV shows are can you help me explain this? They are. Yeah, it's like a one-off. It's like that role I played on 30 Rock, who's just a one-off, one-episode character, but who's sort of like in a, in a few scenes. That's a guest star um, right. for the episode. 
to who, right. someone who's not going to come back. If you were going to come back, they call it recurring. Yes. Thank you for explaining that. So even though you, you graduated and you were working and you had representation, which is like check and I check know. as an yeah. actor, you also had this adorable, if I may say, side job uh, teaching it ballet was to, to kids. It, it was. Yeah. It was. I've always babysat since I can remember. I'm a babysitter. And it was an acting class in this studio through NYU. And I would see this baby ballet class happening like every time I was there. And I was like, holy shit, I have to work for these people. Like, because I was, because it's my senior year. And I'm thinking like, it's the beginning of my senior year. And I'm like, I've got to start applying at restaurants. Like I've got to start. And I was like, no, this, this is the job. And so I just, again, gumption. I just walked up to (laughs) the woman who I believed to run the program. And I said, hi, you don't know me. I know this. I'm a student over here. I love kids. I'm a babysitter. I dance a little bit. I've got to work for you. And she, <laughs> she like let me sit in on the class and see how I interacted with the kids. And then she hired me. And the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was so grateful. I mean, it was such a great job. I loved it. It was so uh, cute. Yeah. And if I may say so, probably far less stressful than working in restaurants. And yes. I, I only can speak from experience because that was definitely the yeah. the thing that I just jumped right into. And and once you jump into that, it's sort of, I've talked about it with many a friend who have bartended or waitressed. Mm-hmm. Once you jump into that as your side job, uh, you know, because you think it's going to be the, the better choice because you're working at night and then you can quote unquote audition mm-hmm. during the day. Mm-hmm. There's a few things that end up catching you in that cycle of like, okay, well now I'm up late and it's hard to get up early, but the money's so good, but the money's yeah. inconsistent, but then the money's so good. And then you have this skill that you have to continue working on anyway. And some people end up with careers in the restaurant industry. Yeah. So, and that's a beautiful thing. I think far and wide, we are people, 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 <laughs> we're people, people. <laughs> yeah. So we're good with uh, interacting with different scenarios, right? And yeah. um, hospitality and, is one of yeah. those things. And when you're in your 20s, I think you can handle those ups and downs a little bit. It's not easy, but it's like you can stay out till 4 a.m. and then roll up at 8 for an open totally. call. Like, you just yeah. can. <laughs> so let's move into some of those ups and downs. So you're graduated from Tish and you're mm-hmm. uh, teaching the adorable kids and auditioning and and booking work do you have that moment where things aren't like do you have that moment of like oh I'm on the down spiral of this roller coaster or like a holy shit moment of like oh my god I'm not auditioning I'm not booking like what's going on yeah I was thinking about this question because I think I'm making it sound like, oh, I was just one thing after the other after the other that I was getting and wasn't everything wonderful. And it's like, that's not the case, obviously. But I look back at it differently now because in my present situation, I feel like I'm on a down. I feel like in my present is where things are not going well. And I'm just talking about that aspect. I mean, like I have a voiceover career. I narrate audiobooks young adult audiobooks mostly. I work so much for JMM. Thank you, Robin. And I'm very fortunate in that aspect. But in the other aspect, there's something happening now that I can't put my finger on. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's my age. You know, being in your mid to late 30s, I feel like is sort of a weird dead zone for women sometimes. But I also look a little younger. But also, back then in 2001, I was a, you know, I guess, talented moderately attractive white girl. And there were like plenty of roles out there. 
that yeah. there was no dearth of roles for like spunky young looking white girls in their in their young 20s. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. So like I also was lucky. It was just the time I showed up. That's a huge part that I think it's hard to like accept, but there's just a lot of luck involved in like when you when you hit and when you show up. That's right. It. Yeah. And some of it does have to do with, oh gosh, this word, your type. Yes. And <laughs> yeah. how you are perceived by the industry, how you are received by the industry, how they think you will, quote unquote, fit in, regardless right. of how you think you'll fit in. It's this timing thing that that can then be sort of discouraging. And I yeah. and I hear what you're saying about being in the right place at the right time then and then also right now sort of trying to be like, wait, what? Yeah. What is happening? Oh, yes, I'm grateful for A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah. But also like, what's this chemistry formula that I can't quite put my finger on? Exactly. Like, what are we mm-hmm. doing now? So speaking of this moment in time, like, let's talk about the present. You mentioned audiobooks. Yeah. Um, Thank God. <laughs> is, uh, incredible. And it's one of those things that you yeah. are excelling at. You did The Time Traveler's Wife, which is That a was huge, my first one. Okay? Amazing. That, I was way over my head. Talk about being green. Who directed I, that? Do you remember? <sighs> Not to put you on the spot. I can see him. I just, I can't think of his face right now. Oh, it was Paul. Paul Rubin. Abs- yes, Paul Rubin. I'm sorry, Paul. I mean, I was just, I was so in over my head. I thought, this is great. I'm trained as an actor, as a singer. I just have to sit there and read a book. How enjoyable. It was hard. Hard. Yeah. Interesting. Robin engineered it. You did? Mm-hmm. Aw. So Robin's wow. our producer for our listeners just to make sure everybody is up to speed. I'm amazed he I'm- asked me to come back to work for them after that. Wow. It's <laughs> <That's> incredible. <laughs> no. You blew Paul away. Oh um, my gosh. That's so I, sweet. I can share, I can share this story. <laughs> Um, because I was in the room, and I'm sure Paul wouldn't wouldn't mind me. Uh, so, Time Traveler's Wife, he's directing it. He's a little stressed out. He's like, you know, I've got the male part. It was Fred Berman. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And he's like, we know Fred, but they've given me this brand new. <laughs> you know, Paul was like, I, you know, you know how Paul is. Um, yeah. You come in, you sit down, and you start narrating. He gives you a bunch of pointers and he looks at me, turns off the mic and says, holy shit, she's good. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say, holy shit, we got a lot of work to do. No, he looked at me and he said, oh, my God, that's so sweet. Oh, my gosh, she is so talented. Oh. He dove in and he worked you hard on that. He did. But that was because with Paul, he sees something and he knows you're talented. He wants the best out of it. And he drew that out of you. That's wonderful to hear. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I, you I, blew us all away. Wow. You could not Thanks. tell that was your first audiobook. I kind of like working trial by fire a little bit. I, yeah. I kind of like being thrown in, I think, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you doing audiobooks now? Yes, I've done quite a few recently, mostly through Penguin. They uh-huh. bring me really great young adult stuff. Talk about for a moment, if you don't mind, sharing your process to prepare for an audiobook. Oh, um, I read it. <laughs> Step one. 
I read it. I scan for, uh, is there an accent that's going to surprise me? Is there, I write down all the words I'm not, or names I'm not sure how to pronounce. I read for tone. A lot of them I feel like I sort of get their vibe. I think that I have a young sounding quality to my voice and to some aspects of my personality that I think I just really kind of get about these characters. So I usually don't have to spend a whole lot of time like honing in on a character. This is also why I like to go to a studio with a director because I like to feel free to, in the moment, mm-hmm. be able to be immersed in the emotion and, and and the director can help me. Like, I guess, working with Paul, I'm so fortunate to work with Paul who can help me fine tune in the moment so I can just focus on performance. Yeah. Jumping all the way back to this special sweet time in your 20s when you're hustling and working and uh, just graduated. Did you yeah. have a few of those moments in yeah. that tumultuous, perhaps, time in your 20s that you were like, I quit. That's it. I'm not doing anything else. I would say I probably had, you know, probably a dozen of those moments of like, well, I I got that thing and that's a one-off and that's never going to happen again. Or like, yeah. you know, you book something and I, I, I book something and I would think, well, I'm probably going to die before the first day of this. I'm never going to get to do it. You know, like I just have these very intense doom type thoughts that are sort of like, they enable me to feel like you were foolish to think that you would succeed. I would think about things and I, I think I still do sometimes of like trying to get on top of my own disappointment, trying to get ahead of the constant rejection, trying to get ahead of like always hearing no and somehow find a way to be like healthy and okay with that, which is just a crazy making. It's just, it's hard no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Uh- I would completely agree with you. Did you find that you found anything to sort of uh, aid you in that cycle of sort of calming the anxiety? Did you find certain things in your 20s or maybe now? So we're sort of jumping back between present day. Let's toggle back and forth because it is all (laughs) cumulative. But like, how do you deal with it? How did you deal with it? Because mental health is, is something that is more openly talked about now, but mm-hmm. the idea of the constant rejection. Uh, I I think that that's something that, if not dealt with, can begin to wear somebody yes. down. But this spunk that you said, this gumption that you said that you had when you were, yeah. you know, just arriving in New York, like, I got this. And then you get this tidal <laughs> Very like wave of— the girl in Annie going, NYC. Like, that was oh, me. Big time. I think we all arrived that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so— uh, did you find that you ha- have a sort of like a a cocktail, so to speak, of things that you do to help? You know, now I see a therapist. I just really have this unfortunate, like embedded thing in me that I like sort of deserve punishment or does like that I, that I need to muscle through things that I need that like pain is just pain is just something that everyone has and you just like, you live with it and you're grateful for the good things. And um, yeah, I'm not describing it very well, but I don't think, like when I look back, it's like, I didn't have a toolkit, <laughs> not to say that that's very corny, yeah, a toolkit no. of things to like, to help me because I was just so focused and driven and like just, but I think honestly to my own detriment because it often leaves me in a, in a place of feeling very alone even though I'm not alone, I have amazing friends. Even now, like I have this amazing husband, I have a therapist, but I get into this zone of like, well, I have to figure this out all by myself or else 
you know, no, why would anyone want to help me? Like, I don't mm. do anything for anybody else. Like this very insecure, you know, like all actors probably are like yeah, desperate, so. desperate need for like other people's validation, which is like the sort of hell of being an actor. Like you, you aren't, you know, I've written a couple things, but it's like, I'm not a writer. I'm not a director. Um, and there is this also sort of hellish place of realizing, oh my gosh, I've taken the thing, the cr- my creative energy, my most like vulnerable, beautiful, pure part of me that wants to be expressive and creative. And I've turned it into my livelihood. I've made my life depend on it. Oh man. And it's so dark. That's why I'm glad that I like, I have techniques like I can do voiceover where I can like, I can go and do these really fun, you know, I'm sure you've done it, these ESL things that yep. JMM will hire me to do, which I'm able to like have a lot of fun doing stuff like that. I'm getting paid to to do something good that I feel that I'm good at. But when yes. it comes to like your pure creative energy, like oh, that's the real um, Ponzi scheme of being an actor is like, you get those highs where you feel validated for that, like Spring Awakening, right? Like it was just so early on. It was so early for me. I was a year out of college when I got that off-Broadway show that then moved to Broadway and was a hit. Mm-hmm. That never happens, especially to a bunch of like teenagers to 20-year-olds. You know, I was like, I think the maybe the oldest of the young cast by like six months or whatever. But yeah, that fucks with you. Yeah. <laughs> it just does. And then you're not going to, just not not everything goes up, up, up from there. You feel stupid. I, I love that you that you said the Ponzi scheme uh, <laughs> yeah, for actors. I can't You're imagine. so I've, right. Yeah, if somebody tells you now, right, like whatever, fifteen to twenty years into it, that yeah. this that this is what you're going to do, and you're going to spend all of this money in a training yeah. program, but like you're yeah. going to like leave your soul in the audition room floor and then doubt yourself like every single moment of every single day and then have these extreme highs, but also these extreme lows. And I guess, yes, part of that is life, but what we're doing it on purpose. (laughs) You know what I mean? On purpose. We're Um, doing it on purpose. Yeah. Because we're masochists. sign up for this? (laughs) That's, that's what's crazy. I feel like I tried, I really try to balance in my mind, like, this is this is really hard for me emotionally and whatever. But also, I am choosing this. I am actively choosing to do this mm-hmm. because I want to. Because I feel that I I'm not done for whatever reason. <laughs> it's insane. No. no, but it's the reality of the career, and then also not you specifically, your personality, but yeah, the artist giving of themselves, and then also giving all of themselves in order to procure a job that nine times out of 10, they're not going to get. Right. And just that that constant cycle. Do you think that it's more difficult for women in our industry? Like you were mentioning right now, being in mid to late 30s, you're having this um, dry spell, I guess maybe we could say, yeah. but I, I don't want to, I don't want to label it because you are working. That's the I thing. Yes. You are working. That's why, yeah. I feel, it feels like ungrateful to describe it in that way. No, but. not at all. It, it really does start to feel like, for instance, well, in 2019, I had this health issue that took up, that sucked up basically my whole year, mm-hmm. I would say, or it didn't have to, but it just emotionally, mentally, it really did. And then I was like, 2020, I'm back, baby, in 2020. <laughs> 
Oh, sorry. How many so, have yeah. said 2020 is going to be my year? 2020, I'm back. Bitch, yeah. I, here I am. And yeah. And I also had, you know, this thing happen where I, you know, I also like, I also gained some weight during that time. And that's also so hard to talk about as a woman, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it was just a reality. And it, it was so striking to me how I think that made my life trying to book this work harder. Mm. Um, it was something that people were commenting on. Wow. And it made me much more insecure. Even now, like I've lost quite a bit of the weight since last year, but um, now I'm, I feel like I'm a little more insecure. Like I don't know. I just don't know where I go. You know, I don't right. have this like young 20s dancer body anymore. Mm-hmm. Whether or not people want to talk about that issue, it, mm-hmm. it it still is an issue for women in this industry. They still want you to look a certain way. That's, and I know that that's not the case for everybody. And it is getting better. It absolutely is getting better. But I don't know. I have found it much harder for me as I've yeah. as my body has changed. And I wonder if that's right. because I did start being successful when I was in my early twenties, and people still, I think, expect that of you. And like maybe I have to reinvent somehow and come back. I don't know. I don't know. One of the things that I think we don't talk about enough in this industry are the personal things that happen as an, you know, inevitably as a human being, Yeah. Uh, whether they're emotional or a relationship ends or a health issue comes up or a parent or a sibling or a loved one or yourself gets ill, they affect they directly affect how you not only walk through the world, but how mm-hmm. you uh, deal with life every day. And then if you're bringing your whole self to the audition room or to the part or to just the pursuance of this career and your whole self is sort of shattered in a million fucking pieces, yeah. how do you do that? How do you... Yeah. Uh, compartmentalize, I guess, when you're actually not supposed to compartmentalize and bring your whole self to the part and your whole self to the audition yeah. room. And I'm glad that you're better. And, you know, newsflash world, women's bodies change. So, <laughs> I, you know, who you were in I've your heard, early I've 20s. I've heard the phrase second puberty before and damn if oh that my isn't God. true. <laughs> damn if that isn't true. Wow. I mean, I haven't even had a baby. And I, I've just, in the last 10 years, I've been going, what the? fuck is going on here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, wait, wait, no. Yeah. <laughs> I knew yeah. this was going to, everyone told me this was going to happen, but I didn't think it was going to happen, you know? Right. Not to me. <laughs> not right. To me. Certainly not me. Certainly. Yeah. No. Wrinkles, no. <laughs> You're telling me I need to make changes to my life to make, oh, okay. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Very, yeah. In, yeah. So you have these, these early, these early on wins, which, you know. Yeah. Well, I'll just say it for somebody who didn't, who is, you know, we're relatively at the same point, relatively at the, at the same age, we're in New York at the same time. And who, for somebody who didn't have those really early on wins, um, to maybe to compare them to now, like, are you convinced more now than ever with having this sort of like, huh, moment of like where you fit in? Are you digging in your heels and finding that gumption within yourself to say, no, I still have this innate talent. I have this training. I have, this is my, this is my passion. Um, Does that drive you? uh, Yeah, mm -hmm. I think so. I think that I, I try to remember that 18 year old 
gal from Fort Worth, Texas, who would like kick open a door and start singing 16 bars. And, you know, not really, not, not, not literally, but you know what I, I mean? I would love that. That was great. I would love to uh, see that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the girl who would like get up and get up at 6 a.m. to go to an open call to, to be da- the dainty June understudy on Broadway. Like, because. And stand in line. Yeah. And be so happy. Like, I can't tell you, I was just thrilled to be there. I think I just love it too much. It it makes me too happy. And that's why it's it's devastating that I can't seem to like figure out my way back in because it's just always been, it's always been the thing I've wanted to do. And I thought that I was good at. And to just now, now that I've been working for so long to just now hear no, 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 no over and over again is, is it's tough. And maybe that sounds privileged. And I was very privileged to get the work that I did as early as I did, but yeah, it's hard. (laughs) Yeah. I I wouldn't discount that at all. And I don't think that, uh, booking work early in your career makes any sort of change hearing a no later, any less difficult when you put your whole life, time, soul, et cetera, into yeah. something that you love and you pursue it. You know, when you hear a no and a no and a no and a no, that can be but really, I also, really I also tough. have to say, though, I'm not being fair in the sense of like, there are lots of, like I said earlier, there are lots of ways to work mm-hmm. that I could probably put more, not to do like, I should, I should, I should, but like, that I could probably put more effort into, into seeking out. And I, I try to, you know, from time to time, there are lots of avenues that I, that are probably totally available to me that I'm not looking at. So I, I can't say like, I'm a complete victim of the situation. There's a balance to that. Yeah. Oh, uh, absolutely. I, uh, speaking of balance, I want to toggle back to Spring Awakening just for a moment. Sure. You were, you know, catapulted into this world that, um, Well, a lot of people don't get to Broadway, but you're catapulted into the off-Broadway show and you, and it's a very special time. I saw the show live then and, uh, you know, listened to it maybe on my disc, man, (laughs) maybe on an early version of an Apple iPod, but I think it might've been a disc, man, back and forth in line for auditions. And then, you know, in class and on my way to class and on my way to my waitressing job. I mean, it was like the thing to listen to at the time. I played the role of Anna, and then I also, I, because it's off Broadway and because resources are low, I was also asked to understudy those two roles. When we got to Broadway, I was asked to continue understudying them. So I got to, I got to play. Eventually, I got to play three roles in the show: my main part, and then I got to play Venla a few times and Ilsa a few times. It was incredible. It was oh my amazing. gosh! Yeah. So you you do your role um, off Broadway, and then uh, brought the Broadway company opens, Broadway show opens, and you're mm-hmm. doing this one role. What's it like to do one role and also know two roles in the back of your head? with maybe watching rehearsals or maybe having what's called a put-in and just sort of going through the blocking or, uh, you know, working on the part on your own time. Uh, and then all of a sudden getting the call, like you're going on tonight as yeah. the lead in a Broadway show. It, I mean, it's you, thrilling. Mm. I don't jump out of planes. I don't bungee jump. You know, this is my adrenaline hit is this stuff. Like, you know, and you do have understudy rehearsals. You have a couple, I can't remember now. I, and I honestly don't know if it's changed, but we'd have a couple 
understudy rehearsals through the week where we all the understudies would meet and go through the show together. So it's, yeah, it's really on you to make sure that you, you know all the stuff, all the parts where all the quick changes happen. It is like jumping out of a plane. It's right. especially on a Broadway show. It's like, oh, uh, you know, like the the opening song that the girls sing, Mama Who Bore Me. It's like, oh my gosh, you have to, there's spotlights on us and like just remembering where to go. For this. It's like, it's scary, but I loved it. Wow. I loved, and I got to French kiss Jonathan Groff like many times, you know? I mean, a dream. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, how do you think that that meteoric success affected you? When I look at that, I I feel like I can only see it through the collective because we were all in awe and also like had no idea what was going on. It was very hard to process what was happening. I think, again, this is sort of my, my back footing of things. I always tried to remember like, this is going to end, like, this is not going to last, like, Wow, you know, so, and sometimes I could really be in it and, and enjoy it, but it was also—I think that's also a way that I can try to be present in the moment, be like, just be here with this because, like, this never happens. This is unique. I would pretend like my brain was a camera, and I was like, take a picture of this, take a picture of this. Like, this is not wow. going to last. I think it affected all of us in different ways. It affected us collectively for sure. The main thing it affected was that I had money. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a steady income. I got this was the stupidest thing I ever did. I got a studio apartment in Hell's Kitchen which wasn't a safe place for lots of reasons, but also I was just leeching money. I wasn't saving anything. Like, it, you know, I was 23. I didn't know what was going on. I thought, I thought this is it. This right. is the beginning. Here it goes, you know. So there's a little bit of a, not foolish, but just a not, not matured yet understanding of what was going on in my life during this. Well, you know, at Tisch or I went to USC, we mm-hmm. were not taught finance. We were taught, no. you know, how to crawl around on the floor and voice <laughs> technique and tap and ballet and jazz and music God. theory and musical theater technique and I don't know, stage combat, but how to save your money and invest at a very early age or, you know, mm-hmm. what a budget is. We just weren't taught that. So, no. uh, I, yeah, I completely agree. And then you get this steady paycheck. And even though there's a part of you that's like, this isn't going to last forever. You're like, but this is a job and this is a paycheck yeah. and this is what I make now. So I can set my life yeah. on this. I can rest my laurels on this, this sort of amount of money always coming into my life. And then yeah. it's not necessarily like other careers where you climb the ladder and the, this is like a ladder and then a shoot, just like yes. that, you know, and then another yeah. ladder and then a shoot. Yeah. A shoot. Did, Definitely a shoot. Do you, yeah. did, how did you learn or... How did you learn that uh, financial lesson? I mean, do you have any advice for young actors starting out about oh finance? Gosh. Finances are something that still make my palms sweat, butt clenched, terrified. And I'm Same. so fortunate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you, like when you look over a, a, a bridge or a cliff, like that feeling. Oh God. Um, fortunately, my husband, he loves to work with that stuff. So we're working with a financial advisor now much later than we probably should be. I'm almost 40. And um, yeah, I would say start, I don't know. I don't, I wish I had better advice, but like get, get good advice on investing and start investing, you know? That's great advice. There you go. Don't go, don't go crazy and get a studio apartment in in Hell's Kitchen when you're 22 years old. You don't need it and you'll be lonely. Yeah. And you'll talk to your dog too much. 
<laughs> so, you know. It's just so tempting to do in a city of thousands or millions, And it millions, felt so good at the time. It really did. And that's, that's the thing. I feel like a lot of times it's easy to give advice for things where it's like, don't do this, don't do that. But it's like, how did I learn to not do that? You know, mm-hmm. I did the stupid thing. Oh, well, that's how we learn, right? We do the stupid thing and then we yeah. learn from it. <clears throat> so you're living in your apartment in Midtown and you have this steady job and this collective just amazing experience happening with the success yeah. of a Broadway musical. And then it ends. Well, not only that, well, before it ends, a couple of really traumatic events happened in my life. My stepfather of 15 years, who I loved very much, just left our family and my um, back in Fort Worth. Oh. And I was living alone and doing the show and I just, something happened to me. And I, maybe this is a product of like just muscling, muscling through. The bottom fell out of my life, it felt like I was in free fall. Even though I was in this Broadway show, I had this apartment, I just started drowning. I just had like a, a prolonged nervous breakdown, I would say, wow. looking back on it. The way I reacted, the way the way things went for me. And I didn't seek any help for it. Again, like right. I didn't go sit, find a therapist. I was just like, this is fine that I can't get off my floor. I'll just lay here till I can get off my floor and it doesn't feel like I'm drowning anymore. Like it really was that bad. The story of Spring Awakening and (sighs) the depth of the story, the subject matter, the emotionality, the the music itself, Mm -hmm. it takes everything. It does. So, and I was so in love with it. It was honestly um, a blessing that I went there every day because at least I had a place to go and sing and be expressive. Like, again, I'm so lucky, but I just felt like I was dying 24 hours a day. Like, it was really bad. (laughs) I look back now and I'm like, why didn't you find a therapist? Why didn't you get any help? It was just, it was so bad. But then towards the end of my run, or I had an open-ended run because I was on an ensemble contract, but I, I had booked like a couple scenes in this indie movie and I really wanted to go do it. And the show, they weren't going to give me time off to go do it. And so I was like, well, I guess this is my sign, right? Like, I guess mm. it's time to move on. And I did. And I, I left at the same time as a, a, a couple other cast members, but I left like going into maybe what I thought was a more controlled free fall. Like, here we go. Like, I'm going to ride this wave now, you know? And right again, that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. And I, I went and did this movie in New Mexico and it was great. And then I came back and, oh, where's all my money? Huh. Um, where's my money? <laughs> so, and you didn't work right after that? No, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. So would you say that when Spring Awakening ended for you, was that a low? It was a low because of where I was in my life emotionally and mentally. Like, I just was not well. I wasn't a healthy, well person. Wow. And yet I was still booking work. (laughs) I will say the thing that I feel like kind of brought me back to life. Now, this is going to sound wild. Okay. But I booked a lifetime movie called Sorority Wars. Yes. That filmed in um, Victoria, British Columbia, which is, I'd never been there before. It was fucking beautiful. It was so fun. I played a teenage girl in college fighting with her best friend about a sorority. Like it was such a great fun movie to work on. 
And I'm in one of the most beautiful places on earth I've ever seen. And I'm fully removed from New York. Mm-hmm. And I made friends there. And it just was like, it really revived me. Like it really helped me find myself again because I just was out of this dark situation. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say like, this thing is a low, this thing is a high or whatever, because like that last, that last chunk of time I spent in Spring Awakening was such a mix, but I was low. But I look back and I think I'd been working up, I, I must've been working up to that for years. Right. You know? Right. Of course it happened during this like great success for me. Like, of course it did. Right, because you, you can only push so far, I suppose. Right. But I, at that time, I loved to do that to myself. I loved mm-hmm. to push myself to an extreme. I felt like fulfilled doing that somehow, like especially for the theater. You know, like I, I loved that. I loved, you know, and even after that, I went on, I did a few off-Broadway plays, which were all great. And I just loved being in a masochistic way. I loved being consumed by the process and like by the people and in a very unhealthy way that now I have different, much different perspective on. But I also have made some great friends <laughs> that way as well. Yeah. So. Well, it's all, you know, part of the journey. I mean, yeah. were you to go back into another rehearsal room, do you think you would approach a role in a different way now? Absolutely. Yeah. I think I think I just have better boundaries. I think I have a gratitude as well now. Not that I never had gratitude for things. It's all dependent on on the people around you working yeah in that environment and what what you're being asked to bring or yeah i don't know i'm sorry yeah. that's not a very clear answer no that's okay i mean you talk about gratitude i always sort of jokingly say gratitude in not a hashtag way <laughs> exactly. Um, it, exactly you know it's it's thrown around a lot and yeah. you know you know be grateful for what you have etc but it it sometimes can be elusive in the moment and then you might have to have these, you know, these moments, the dark nights of the soul in order to kind of come out on the other side and then be able to reflect back. Yeah. I also think my one of my flaws is that I, I use the idea of gratitude as like a self-punishment. It's like, you should be grateful. I am so grateful to be here and it gives me a sense of peace. Sometimes it's like, it's a punishment <laughs> toward myself. So that's- I don't think you're alone in that. That's why I can't get into like the gratitude journaling stuff. I just know I would somehow turn it against myself. I just know. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I'd be my own worst enemy. (laughs) (laughs) So um, early on in the podcast, you, you know, we're working remote today and uh, you sort of mentioned how you were looking outside at the leaves changing. Mm -hmm. Do you think that now there is a sense of finding maybe that therapy in nature for you? Yes. I, this is so corny, but I- Not at all. I go hiking. I, whether it's in the city or out of the city, I put myself, I, I, sometimes I just think of it as like a hamster on a, on a, treadmill. I have to tire myself out. Like, 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 yeah, I have to tire my brain out. I have to tire- my subconscious out because, um, but being, being in nature, being in, like, there's so many trails accessible from the city. You can just jump on a train and get off it. I find that like, it's, it's helpful for me to, in that sense of like, maybe I am sort of self-punishing, but I like to start on a path that I can't, it's like, 
I can't, I can't just stop. I can't just get in my car and leave. I can't turn off the YouTube Pilates video. I can't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I can't just walk out of Barry's boot camp because it's annoying me. You have to keep going. You have to, like, I'll set myself up to do like 15 miles. I just feel, I like being alone with myself in that way. It's helpful to me. It's to not be staring at my phone. I get so addicted to the scroll. I get so addicted to the screen. And I just, I sort of look at it as like a, you know, we were talking earlier about, oh, you're telling me I have to, I have to change things about my lifestyle to feel better. Oh, like one of my friends and I, we laugh about how like, oh, turns out going to the gym and not drinking a glass of wine at night. Oh, so you feel great when you do that? Oh, that sucks. You know, you're talking about <laughs> I'm not going to feel better if I have three margaritas. Okay, sure. <laughs> you know, um, Phoebe, this has been an absolute eye-opening Oh, uh, soul-searching joy to talk to you. I oh. I can't thank you enough for talking to me and to being so open and vulnerable to me and to all of our listeners. It was an absolute pleasure, and maybe we can go on a hike someday. Please. That'd Please. be great. Okay. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. This podcast was created and produced by Heather Corrigan and Robin Lai. We would like to thank our guest, Phoebe Stroll, for joining us today. This episode was directed by Robin Lai and recorded by Michael Bader. Content editing by Neve McAuliffe. Post-production by JMM Latom and mastered by Clint Rhodes. Special thanks to Boom Integrated and Adrian Glover. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and share it with all of your friends. Tune in next week as we bring you more women's stories that are totally badass and dramatic.